How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongue Style Podcast. And let's get to pretty much the near end of our subject about talking about attraction. And so um, I'm fully energized. <laughs> if you had a chance to listen to yesterday's podcast, it started off kind of at a low and then it worked its way up to me being super excited about uh, just the subject I was talking about. Essentially, I was pretty much drained from dealing with medical things yesterday, all day. But even in that state, I was able to go ahead and, and, and change my mental state by just getting into a, a subject that was related to initially how I was feeling, but then I was able to look at it in, in a way that created a, a motivational perspective, per se, of, of like uh, from a negative. And so to really understand the context of, the, of what I'm talking about, you'd have to listen to yesterday's podcast. I think it's probably one of my best ones, to be honest, because it's probably one of the more raw ones I've done. I don't think I've done one as raw as that one yesterday. I was just so tired. I just didn't care. <laughs> um, but essentially, you know, we've gone through uh, working on ourselves, working on our physical, mental states, our financial health, our careers, Um thinking about the type of people that we want to be around, evolving on, on how to have effective communicational skills, how to segue that into um, developing a, a further relationship with a, with a person that you're trying to, to interact with and like on a further basis, and then how to maintain that relationship and not be a complete piece of uh, ass towards this person um, and actually have a long-standing relationship with these people, like you know, close friendships or you know, having a significant other. Um, yesterday I wanted to talk about neurolinguistic programming, but I was just so tired. I just went ahead and did the other one, which I think was just perfect timing, honestly. Um, but today we are going to talk about neurolinguistic programming because in my pursuit of learning about this field of individuals that, um, were supposed womanizers. And, and honestly, if this is the first podcast you're going to be listening to, you're, you're just robbing yourself of a lot of uh, history, and so I'm just going to just talk as if I'm assuming that you guys have listened to at least some of this week's podcast, but uh, essentially, I'm not going to, I'm just going to briefly go over it. Uh, I was an introvert, became an extrovert uh, about 13 years ago. Uh, I, at the time, thought that my value in life, because I was was at a very low point in um, just in every aspect of my life, you know, Health-wise, career-wise, debt-wise, everything just was horrible, relationship-wise, everything. And so I thought the way that I could get myself out of that perspective was to be a, a you know, attractive figure to, to the opposite sex because I was attracted to women. And so I pursued this thinking that this was going to change my life. Ultimately, it did, but not for the reasons that I, I initially thought um, – was going to be the thing that was going to change my life. Women had nothing to do with it. It was just a byproduct of me focusing on myself and, and realizing that I had all this internalized potential, but I was just in such a negative state of mind that I was just pretty much just tanking any idea of success. And so it took a lot of work and me finally realizing that I could change all of that. And inadvertently, finally, when I did change it, I was able to, 
after a small bump of some negativity that came back from just being an effective womanizer at that point, um, I was able to go ahead and see all the growth that I had done in the year and a half that I spent focusing on just um, improving the type of person I am. In the pursuit of this improvement, I was introduced to a concept that just I never knew of, which was uh, something called neuro-linguistic programming. Essentially, it's it's not a it's not a true science. This was uh, developed by two professors, uh, Richard Bandler and John Grinder, out of California in the seventies. What they wanted to do was they wanted to see if there was a way that they could mimic successful people that are successful via their means of communication. And if there was a way to, to, to categorize all these different people that were able to be effective communicators and what they were doing that made them so effective and what like they all had in common. And if there was a way to reteach this to people. And so essentially that's where this neuro linguistic programming comes from. Neuro being from the idea of just talking about your brain and the way you think, linguistics, talking about communication and programming, in essence, talking about how you can reframe your, or re, reframing actually is a concept from neurolinguistic programming. If you don't know what that is, I'm going to get into that in a second. Um, programming means just changing the way you perceive things around you. Um, so essentially, uh, the, the biggest thing I ever got from neurolinguistic programming when I was doing tons and tons of research into this and reading so many books and listening to so many um so much material about it was that a big teaching out of it was that most people most when i say most everyone has the potential to be to be where they at where they want to be in life like they they have the, the potential to succeed in whatever they're trying to succeed in and they already have the resources already at hand. They just need to realize these resources. And as I was starting to to develop me these skill sets and, and improving upon myself and and realizing that I had a lot to offer, I I could see that some of these teachings from neurolinguistic programming were 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 coming out in a way. And I I really ignored that stuff, but there's a lot of a lot of things that you can uh, assume to get once you start to learn neurolinguistic programming. The biggest thing, and I, I do it to this day, it was just like it was a, something that I had to learn, but I, I don't do it consciously anymore. I mean, there are people that consciously do a lot of NLPing to people, and if you know what you're doing, you could essentially be a very manipulative person. A perfect example of someone that's like a pro neurolinguistic programmer that is kind of popular. He was definitely popular in the 90s and, and mid-2000s. I don't know what he's doing now. But there's a magician out of the out of the United Kingdom or, or Great Britain or England, if for people that didn't know where I was referencing. Um, his name is Darren Brown. He's a magician. Well, he's like a... It's like a... I don't know. Is he's, he's insane. Essentially, if you watch his magic, his magic is really about putting an idea in someone's mind and then them not knowing about it, almost pretty much doing inception. He does inception to people. And at the very end of the trick, he gets people to think that the idea that they were trying to describe back to him, he like goes through like an entire story with them and everything of that nature. And 
at the end, these people think that like the idea that they had in their head was the original, like something they've always believed in, something they've thought they've had since they were a kid. And in the end, he proves to them that no, he just implemented that into their heads pretty much in the last 30 minutes. And that no part of that was original. It was all something that he implemented into their brain. So he's an expert neurolinguistic programmer. Uh, I don't think he comes out and says that that's what he does. But essentially, if you know about NLP, you know that that's what he's doing. Um, but there's a ton of techniques in neurolinguistic programming. And essentially, what this, the, the context of, of what this is, is that essentially most people are only aware of like conversations about the interaction that is occurring at the moment. Like let's say you and me are in a conversation. We're in a, let's say in a bar, there's about 30 people in different areas, a few people at the bar, multiple different people at different tables around us. There's uh, we're in a, a specific city. Uh, let's say we're in, I don't know, San Diego. We're at a random bar. It's during the summer and it's the, the the day is starting to come to an end, so it's just everyone's just kind of hanging out at this bar, socializing. No specific event going on. It's just a Friday, let's say. And the reason why I'm getting so descriptive about that point is that most of the time when people get into a conversation with someone, they're just in that moment. I'm just talking to you. We're talking about whatever. Let's say we're talking about earlier today, we were just going surfing, and we enjoyed like our just the day, like the waves were great and everything of that nature. And now, you know, we're done, we're tired, we're exhausted, but we want to grab some drinks because we're not from San Diego. So we're just in town for a little bit. We drove from Vegas to here for the week and then we're about to leave. And most people would just, that's the state of conversation that they're in, right? They just talk about the what's going on between the both of them. Well, to someone that's a neurolinguistic programmer or that's got an expertise in it, they don't look at it in in the same sense. They don't look at it as like two parties communicating with one another. They more look into the factor of environment and what's going on all around them. And so there's a more it's more like you stand you step back for a second and you 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 are observant of the person that you're communicating with, but you're not observing their you're not listening to their, you're listening to what they're saying, of course. But you're taking into a lot of other information as well. You're looking at their body language. You're looking at the the people that are surrounding us immediately. Are they listening to us? Are they and it, it's 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 something that happens with with no effort whatsoever. Like if you're really good at this, it's just it's subconsciously it's all going on. You're just kind of aware of all these different things that that's happening around you. You know, when you're practicing this stuff, yeah, it's it's definitely, it, it takes time getting used to it because you're essentially, you're so used to your perspectives guiding a conversation that like your own like ideas, your own thoughts, your own everything kind of guide the conversation with another person. And essentially, neurolinguistic programming is like you're stepping back, you're stepping away from yourself and looking at how you're communicating, how's your body language, how's your... Uh, how's your tone? How's your, like your the words that you're using? And then looking at the other person, are your words reflective off of them? How's their body language? Are they engaged? How are the people around you? And so it takes into a lot of other factors, right? And so it allows you to be a little bit more aware. And uh, essentially, once you start to to practice this a lot more, 
it just, again, like I said, it happens subconsciously. You don't really even think about it anymore. And when you do actively think about it, it actually, it works in your favor a lot. So, um, a perfect example is like sometimes people, I'll have conversations with people that I know, I know the direction that the conversation is going to go. Not like the context, not the words that the person is going to say, but I know ultimately where it's going to lead to. Either it's going to lead to like us having a disagreement in a moment where I don't want to have a disagreement, or it's going to lead to a moment where we get distracted, where I'm trying to, I want to have this person like listen and be engaged to like the next five seconds of what I'm about to say. And so I will guide the conversation and I'll reframe the conversation in a way based off of like what I say next or my body language or, or how I enunciate something or my tone to really get someone to be guided towards the way I want them to see or not see, but hear the words that I'm, I'm saying. <clears throat> is it a form of manipulation? It is, but it's, it's such a small scale. Like most people, most motivational speakers do it and, and people don't really care because like they, they're, they're wanting to to be guided in such a way. They're, like I said, again, I, if I wanted to, and if I, I just, I haven't put any effort into it. So I would have to learn this a lot and, and add it to the context of who I am. But essentially, if I wanted to learn like the dark habits of what someone with neuro-linguistic programming can do, you could manipulate people. You could guide them essentially to, sign deals that they didn't never would have wanted to sign be in a relationship with you, even though they didn't want to be in a relationship with you in the first place. It, it gets pretty dark. You know, they're again, their intent is, uh, this is like a tool, just like anything else. A tool could be used for good or it could use, be used for bad. I, I like this because it allowed me to just be a little bit more observant and be, have a more flowing form of conversation when I'm, I'm engaged with people and have it be more at like, more um more active i guess um and not really have a dull moment ever and so there are a, a lot of techniques that you can do that are are taught through neuro linguistic programming again there's no proof to this actually a lot of psych, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and a lot of other people that just study this uh out of just their degree programs or just scientists in general think this is a pseudoscience so i'm going to start i'm going to tell you by or tell you that this is not verified in any way there are there's been a lot of scientific reviews on it some of have have come forward and said that you know this stuff is pretty interesting and um it's pretty effective and there are others that just say it's not so it's considered a pseudoscience um but again if you look at just the history and you see a lot of people that are implementing neuro-linguistic programming like they, they tell you ahead of time, like, hey, I'm really good at this. Watch it happen. Or something happens in your life and you're like, man, why would I ever, why am I doing what this person wanted me to do? Like, I don't understand it. If you under, like, if you ask that person, like, hey, do you know what neurolinguistic programming is? And and just look at their reaction. Um, Because I, I'll do it sometimes. I'll like, I'll be in a conversation with someone and I know what they're doing. Like, I understand just the context of just like how they're communicating and, and they're, I, I can see the intent that they're trying to push onto me and I'll just bring it up. I'll be like, Hey, you know, just uh, to, to reframe uh, the, the situation and to kind of like get the person to just stop mid sentence. And, and because most of the time they're just not hit with this, but I'll, I'll bring it up. I'll be like, Hey, 
do you know what NLP is or neuro-linguistic programming? Have you ever heard of that? And most of the time I'll look at this person's reaction and, and they're not generally hit with that, like a person that's observant. I've done it a lot. Recently, it was maybe like four months ago, five months ago. I was um, with um, my boss at the time. We were out late at night. Uh, we went to go see a concert and we had this like cabana out in like downtown Las Vegas and we were like socializing with different people. These are like people that were just uh, influential in, in the cannabis space. And I was getting to network with a lot of people there. And I was talking to this guy and we were having a pretty, just like out of everyone in the group, me and him were just having a great conversation. We were just talking for a while and I, I could just sense that there was like, he was just a, a great communicator. And so I asked him, I was like, Hey, do you know what neurolinguistic programming is? He was like, I was just about to ask you the same thing. He was like, I actually coach NLP. And I was like, wow, that is insane. Um, I mean, sometimes I'll pick up on it and sometimes people just don't even know what it is, but inadvertently they're doing things that is associated with NLP. And so when I, after he said that, I was like, wow, awesome. So we just got to talk it for a, a long time after that. And like where I got it from, he got it more from just being a motivational speaker. And he listened to someone talking about this in that space. Motivational speakers tend to uh, study a lot of like techniques to help, you know, get a crowd listening to you, you know? And so NLP is like a strong pseudoscience for them to, to research. Um, and I actually need to hit him up. He, he would be a great person to talk to actually. He, he just recently moved here to Las Vegas from California. But anyways, so there are a multitude of different techniques. Um, my favorite or the two that I, I essentially do a lot is reframing. So reframing essentially the frame. Imagine like you're in a, so what reframing means is that imagine the scene that you're in, like, right. The, the scene I described earlier, I'm at the bar with uh, my friend that we had just got on surfing. We're at this environment. This is a frame. Imagine like someone took a picture and framed it. That's a frame of, of a scene. Right. And essentially what you do is sometimes, you know, to get someone to change a perspective or to, to see something a little bit more the, like how you want it to be explained, you get them to essentially change the way that they're looking at this frame. So you would either change your response. So like I would, instead of talking fast, I would talk slow. If I'm talking loud, I would talk quiet. If we're uh, inside the bar, I would take them outside the bar. Um, if we're, if it's just me and him talking, I would involve other people into our conversation. This is called reframing. This, this means changing the environment in a, in the immediate, in the immediacy of our conversation to, um, guide the conversation in a way to, towards like, uh, the way you want it to go pretty much. I, again, I don't do it consciously anymore. I just do it all the time. I, I just know it. Like when I, think back and I'm just like, Oh wow. I just reframed it. Like I'll, I'll be in a conversation with someone and I just, I, I, or like I was saying earlier, like I just don't enjoy the, the, the path that it's taking. I'll reframe it. And so like I'll involve other people into the conversation and I know like they're, they're like the way that they're going to contribute to the conversation is really going to help me out with what I'm talking about. And this stuff is like reframing has helped me so much in sales. Like I kill it in sales just because of reframing. Um, 
And if you learn how to do it properly, you can essentially really subtly and the reason why I enjoy neurolinguistic programming is because I really think, and and when you learn how communication works, um, I'm all over the place on this podcast. <laughs> it's just such a great subject. I wish I was talking to someone about it that I, I really need to get that guy on. I'll, I'll have to reach out to him and be like, hey, are you willing to get on a podcast and talk about this for a bit? But um, if you learn anything about communication, it, it said that communication is like 60% body language, 20% tonality, tonality or 30% tonality and like 10% the words that are actually the, the context of is actually being spoken, right? So a lot of people get 90% of what they're hearing from the way someone's saying something and the way they're they're enunciating what they're saying, right? And so like what they're the words that they're saying. Most of the time, people are to, are like zoning people out, right? And the only time they react to something is when they either see that the tone has changed, or the body language of the person has changed, and then that's when they react to a conversation. That in itself lets you know that the words really don't matter so much, and it's, it's really a proven fact that you can go in with a perfect example is like if I went to a friend and like me and him like were or me and her were having a, a fun time. And they like tease me and I was like, oh, fuck you. Like, whatever. Right. It's just like the word fuck you is in there, but they understand it as like, oh, my God, you're so silly kind of way. Right. Based off my tone and my body language. But if I went to that same person and they did something silly and and I was like, fuck you. Right. That would be like, whoa, what the hell? Especially like if I I'm making direct eye contact, my body language is aggressive. My tone is 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 very um it's very threatening it's the same two words but clearly the meaning is completely different that's why like texting and emails you really can't like have great communication via worded text it just doesn't work the best way to do it is to have a conversation where someone can see all aspects of someone like body language the tone and 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 listening to the words this in itself is like only like 40% of it. Like if you guys, and I, eventually I want to work towards having like a video podcast that can, you can either watch this so you can see the body language as well. It's more engaging. Conversations become more engaging when you have all aspects of the person there. Um, so when you, when you learn this, you learn that pretty much a majority of effective communicational skills come from the subtleties. And I love the word subtleness. Like, I, I truly believe that of like effective manipulators, communicators, uh, speakers, all of them are experts in the subtleties. And and if you don't know what subtleties means, it's it's the small the very small things. The very, very small things. The things that just go unbeknownst to you, undiscovered, not known, hidden from you. It's it just things that you just don't consciously think about. You think about this person's words all day long, but you don't really realize that the words were nothing to them. It was more everything else. Like they're, the way that they, they emphasize points by talking to you um, and, and like doing like certain taps on your body um, to emphasize certain points or just like the, just the way you um, 
you handle a situation through the means of your words. It's just it's it's hard to describe again without me like setting an example with like a uh, um a volunteer like someone I would come up and I would show like what this is. It's really hard to explain, but really look into it. It's it's pretty interesting. Essentially, if you learn to control the subtleties in communication, you have a, a up upper end on a lot of people, just general public, I guess. But when it comes to like other people that are experts in NLP, it, it starts to get really entertaining and funny um, because everyone's kind of like they have their undesire, like their desirable um, direction that they want the conversation to go. But every party does as well. So like the conversation just kind of evolves into like a debate eventually that then leads to another debate. And it's just the funniest thing to watch. But um, I, I'll never forget there was this guy uh, when I was living in downtown Orlando with my my best friend Dylan. We He had a, a two brothers that were like really great friends with him. And uh, we developed a great relationship afterwards because uh, we were roommates and they uh, were very successful. They lived out of South Florida. They would, um, I don't know how they met my best friend. I forget the backstory, but they owned like multiple different businesses. And the, the each brother was completely different. Vince was the, the talker. He was like me, just talk, 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 talk. Sales guy. He was the CEO. He was like the face of everything and uh, all of that. And then his older brother, Mark, was this guy that barely spoke. He was uh, he's kind of like a goofball, but he was reliable. Any, anytime anything needed to be done, you know, his brother could always trust that he would get it done. Like he was just Mr. Reliable, always. Mark was always reliable. Vince was like <laughs> very wishy-washy and sometimes just he would say something and then he wouldn't commit to it. Mark was different. Mark would hold his brother to his words pretty much. And I remember, I'll never forget. Uh, we used to throw like a lot of house parties at our, our condominium downtown Orlando, um, or our apartment. And we would have a ton of people over at minimum, like 10 people maximum. Who knows? It was just ridiculous half the time <laughs> people would, we would wake up the next day and there'd be people sleeping everywhere on the floor, on the sofas, in each other's rooms and like everywhere we would just, it would be a funny sight every single time you'd waking up to, um, <laughs> man, those stories. And I'll never forget like ever, this, the brilliance of Mark. Like I enjoy talking to Vince because me and him were alike, but his brother, Mark, I was in like, in awe of watching. I, I was just always aware and I would always bring it up to him and he'd always laugh and he'd always be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I would always be like, you know what I'm talking about, Mark. I, you can't bullshit me, man. Like no one else is seeing it, but I just, I'm so aware of it. And I would always bring it up and we would just always laugh. And, I, and we just developed such a, a great relationship at the time because of the fact that I was so aware of these things. And I'll never forget, like, Vince, like, he, the moment he enters a room, he wants to command the whole scene, and and that's great. Like, uh, you know, me, uh, me, him, and Dylan are all alike in the sense that we just love to be that kind of presence. So we just like to command a scene and, and have everyone looking at us and listening to us, and and we we give, like, a direction, like, hey, we're going to be doing this and, and taking up, like, a leadership role, and 
everyone's like uh, like imagine like 15 people are all just like engaged with listening to Vince me or Mark talk or uh, Vince me or Dylan talk and we're talking and all of a sudden Mark would just say a one like a one liner like two words right two like this guy is silent the whole time not saying anything not communicating with anyone he's just kind of playing on a guitar he would always like uh have a guitar like um or I had a guitar and he would always play my guitar and um, to this day, I don't know how to play guitar. I've owned a guitar forever and <laughs> everyone else like uses my guitar and I just have it there because I know people like to play guitar. Um, I've always wanted to learn, but I just, I don't know why I haven't learned it yet. That should be something I should do during COVID-19 actually. Um, and he would like, I just, I will never forget it. Uh, this one moment, I think it was. Dylan was talking and we were like talking about what we were going to do for the night, like with the, our group. And we were talking about different bars and, and clubs that we wanted to go to that night in Orlando. And Mark just said like two words, two words, not, not loud, not like everyone's loud. Right. But he just said two words. You would hear the second word, not even the first word, but when he spoke, he never spoke. And so everyone shut up for a second and you would hear like what he would say and he would do it in such a way that everyone just stopped what they were doing and just started laughing. Cause like in the frame of what we were doing, it was just related to just what we were talking about, but not, not really. And it was just so silly. It would just make everyone laugh. And just for a while, we would just all laugh. And it wasn't like he was trying to be a comedian. It was just that it was, it was so funny, like the the way that and everyone would just laugh about this thing, and it wasn't like he would say it as like a joke or anything. And I was like, "Oh man, that's so funny how he does that." And after a while, I would see him do it a lot. I would see him like where we would be out and about, like at a bar, and he would never speak, and I would be talking to someone, and then he would be like with me, and then he would just throw in like a one liner, like one word. He would know that the person was able to listen because it'd be like in a a period where no one was saying anything and we would just all stop what we were talking about and look at Mark and just be like laughing and talking to Mark. And we would just talk to him and he would just be listening and he would be kind of engaging. And then we would mean, and the other person would go back to what we were talking about and Mark would be there an hour would go by and he would do it again. And again, stop what we were doing, laugh, engage with him and then go forth. And after a while I was like, this guy is a subtle master, the master of subtlety. People don't realize what he's doing, but essentially this guy, is he is more of a commanding presence than his brother. This guy that's literally always in everyone's face, always like, you know, buying everything and, 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 and uh, just like, like pretty much just being the, the center of attention pretty much for a lot of people. But it wasn't him. It was his older brother, his older brother, Mark, with his just active control. He could stop the room whenever he wanted to. Like any one of us could command a presence, but sometimes we would lose the attention of someone for, for a second, for whatever reason. Something happened in the environment or whatever. That would never, ever, ever happen with Mark. If Mark wanted your attention, he would always command it. And then whenever he didn't want your attention anymore... He knew when to let go. And he never spoke of the words. He never elaborated on anything. And he was just the 
you would just barely contribute at all. And I was amazed by what this guy did. And so I brought it up to him one day. I was, we were, uh, we were all hanging out like this was before anyone was coming over. They had they pretty much had keys to our apartment. They would always surprise us every Wednesday. They would never let us know when they were coming. But we would come home and all of a sudden we would just see Vince and Mark on our couch. Like one would be playing the guitar and one would be playing um, like FIFA in our living room. And we'd be like, fuck yes, yeah, see, we're going to have a Vince and Mark day because they had to drive from South Florida to come and hang out with us. And... um. And Wednesday nights were always the best nights as well for us, like outside of a Sunday day fun or a Sunday fun day. Um, but I, I remember having this conversation with Mark and his brother Vince was like, dude, what are you guys talking? What are you talking about, dude? And he was just like that type of guy. And Dylan was like, what are you talking about? But Mark understood what I – he understood that I knew what he was doing because he would laugh and be like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's I'm not making any – like I'm just – Live in the moment, you know? And I'm like, this is my bullshit, dude. <laughs> I see through it now. I understand this stuff. Like, I understand. And so essentially, um, being an effective neurolinguistic programmer means that you are are aware of subtleties. And, and being aware of subtleties is a very strong suit. Anything you do, like, if ever... Always understand that it's not the things that people see, it's the things that people don't see is what really manipulates society. Always. It's always been that way. It's, you know, you're told one thing from like your your leaders, your your spouses, your your presidents, your literally every single type of person, CEOs, uh, businesses, all of them, they preface something to your face for face value. But there's always an agenda. Always. There always is, right? Because ultimately, if you know anything, it's like everyone's always looking out for themselves first. And then um, then everything else afterwards. <laughs> like if any loved ones or anything like that that they have. But So if you understand that context, you can understand that sometimes, you know, don't always believe everything for face, like face value. You always hear that all the time. Try to understand what's going on in the back and like what, how this person's thinking and like how their body language is. Are they like very structured? Are they a very structured person? Maybe they're trained. Maybe they know what they're doing. Maybe they've gotten a lot of training from conversationalists, neurolinguistic programmers, psychiatrists, psychologists. And there's a lot of wealthy people that go through a lot of this type of training because they have to, especially like if you have trade secrets and things of that nature, you have to be able to protect yourself from people that are effectively trying to get these secrets from you. And the only way you could do that is by learning these different techniques that people can use to manipulate you. Um, but because you know you've you've studied how to defend yourself against it, also allows you to also know how to implement it as well. That's kind of where I'm in in this. Like I understand it in a way that I can protect myself from it ever happening to me. But I'm not such an expert where I could just go out and like be like a teacher, like this other guy, like the guy I met four months ago here in Las Vegas. Like he goes and consults neurolinguistic programming. That's all his focus is. Like for me, I just know certain things I do that I got from researching this stuff. So reframing is one. And then um, when I was single, I used to do a lot of um, future pacing and anchoring. So anchoring essentially is when you take like a sensation or emotion and uh, I'm going to try to not make this podcast too long. It's already gone too long. But anchoring essentially is when you 
take an emotion or a state of mind and you relate it to an object or an idea. And so the reason why you're doing that is let's say someone tells you, oh, like you're in a moment right now and you're just having a blast with this person and be like, man, I wish I could just like re like, I, I wish like we could continue like having this, like this energy all the time. I wish there was a way I could like bottle this energy into something. I would do this all the time. Like when I was single, I'd be like, you know what? Um, I don't want to forget about this night or I don't want to forget about this moment. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of this that we just did. And I'm just going to, I'm going to just imagine that I can just embed it into like this necklace or into this like ring or something of that nature. And so every time I touch it, I'm always going to think about like the energy, like the, the way I'm feeling right now. And people get sucked into this idea of just like, if you, especially if you're having so much fun with someone, it, this technique works really well with like that, like enjoyments and, and, and I've never done it for like negative perspectives. Like, I guess you could anchor any, any kind of emotion, but I've always done it for a positive emotion. Um, because I, I just, I'd rather be in a positive state of mind than, than not. And so essentially I would always be like, man, this, this moment's so fun, whatever, whatever. And I'm just going to go ahead and like put this, I'm going to bottle this, this emotion into like this or into whatever. Honestly, it was always a necklace. I would always be wearing necklaces and I was always embedding it like in a necklace. And so anytime this person would see me touch this necklace, consciously they're, they're, it's not, it's, it's nothing to them, but subconsciously, their body is starting to to reimagine that state that we were in before. So, like, if I, if ever I was in a dull moment or the conversation was going um, nowhere, and it was either because we were distracted or whatever the case may be, I could sometimes use that to kind of start a, like a positive energy with someone, and then use the words that I was saying, um, and and reframing the the frame that we're in to essentially get us back into a state where we were before. And so the person subconsciously would start to feel like the way that they were at that moment when I was telling them like, Hey, I want to embed this emotional state that we're in into this inanimate object. And it's fascinating stuff. It's worked for me countless times. I mean, if it's a pseudoscience, then let it be a pseudoscience because sometimes I would explain it to people after the fact, like what I was doing um, and they would be like, oh yeah, like I, it was weird now that you're now that you like say like you're talking about it. I did feel like different. Like every time you would like touch like that, like your bracelet, your ring or like your necklace, it just like, I always felt like something like a tingling almost. And I was, um, I don't do it anymore. Like anchoring was just something I would do a lot when I was single future pacing. I do a lot. I'll do it all the time. And so what future pacing is, it's like. I'm essentially asking someone to imagine themselves in the future, right? And I'm 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 asking them to visualize like this idea, like you know, where do you see yourself in 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 like five years? Like, but like, how are you in that? Like, are you like successful? What? How successful are you? Like, how? And I get very descriptive, and I get them to be very like to visualize where they're at, and essentially, I I I use it to see if the person is is like trying to imagine themselves via their body language, like imagining themselves to be in, in that state of like in that state where they're, they're seeing themselves in the future. And then I, I use the future to dictate kind of like our, an experience now. So like 
you see all that success, you see all this fortune, you see all this like this love in your life, you see all of this, all of these things. You have it now, like you can do it now. Like, let me show you now how you can have those things, right? Or like if you're in sales, like you, it's it's future pacing is is something that like car salespeople are really good at, right? The idea that um, no effective car salesman sells a car, I know because I worked in car sales for a bit. You know that to sell a car, you don't sell the car itself. You you listen to what someone needs and then you put them in the vehicle that best describes what or best suits their needs and you have them test drive the car. Like literally seven times out of 10, if someone's going to buy a car, they've had to have test driven it first. The only time they're not going to do that is like if they've been like an owner of the Chevy, like Chevy Camaro for the last 30 years and they just buy it every five years, a new Camaro then no, they're probably not going to test drive it. They might, but they're just buy it just to buy it. Um, but most people, for them to buy a car, they have to sit in the vehicle and, and, and visualize themselves driving this vehicle to work and to meet up, pick up a friend or a date or whatever. And so you you if you're a good salesperson, you would at, you would have them visualize like this whole point. I would bring it up in conversation. I'd be like, you know, I think this is a perfect car for you because you were telling me. Um, Right now, you don't have a family, but you were thinking about having a family uh, in the future. You and your significant other. This vehicle's got a ton of space. Like, can you imagine, like your you, you and your wife, and your your two kids in the back seat, and they're just having fun and and just like just being super comfortable. And everyone's have and, and you would just use this as a way to get people to visualize themselves in it, and then essentially, you would use it as a context for selling them at of of the moment. And so again, a lot of people do it. They just don't understand that future pacing itself is a technique of, of neurolinguistic programming. Um, there's a lot of other ones, uh, hypnosis. There's like a forms of hypnosis that you could do. Um, but honestly, this, this podcast has gone on long enough. You, you can do your own research. It's kind of vague and it's, it's really dull initially, but when you really, if you really want to get into it, it's very exciting. Um, I'm trying to think if there's another one that I do a lot. Mm, no, I would say like future pacing and reframing are like the two that I do a lot. Anchoring, I did it back in the day, but there's not any other ones that out of this list I'm looking at in front of me. I had to have a list of techniques in front of me because if I didn't, I, I just would forget the terminologies that people use for these and, and neurolinguistic programming. Again, because I just, I just do them now just out of habit, I just because I've wired myself in such a way to just do these things because I just learned a long time ago that they were effective ways to to have communicational skills or be an effective communicator. And now I just inadvertently do it. But sometimes if I if I consciously think about the engagement that I'm in and how I want it to be a certain way, I'll sometimes think, okay, like what can I do? in conversation or through neurolinguistic programming to help like me like close a sale or, you know, get this person's phone number so we can meet up later for like a hangout or, you know, how do I close this the customer or who knows why? Or like, how do I get this business partner or like, how can I meet up and, and do this fun thing with this group of people? You know? So like, if I know that my, like my conversation is just not going the way I want to, I'll step back for a second and re and just reframe the whole like, like my state of mind and how I'm looking at things 
and and for a second think to myself like how do i get a better outcome like what kind of outcome am i looking for and so um but that awareness really comes from just learning about the stuff but it's like i said it's fascinating stuff look it up um again if you hear the names richard bandler or john grinder you know you're looking at the the right material but it's neurolinguistic programming or NLP. Um, there's other, like, I think computer programming, there's a, another form of NLP. So it's better if you just look up neurolinguistic programming. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Tomorrow I will be having a special guest on. Hopefully today is his birthday. And he's, uh, he totally forgot when he committed to this that it, today is his birthday and he likes to have a lot of fun. So hopefully he's not too hungover tomorrow or... Um, if you can't do it, then I'll try the last minute, try to see if I can get someone on, but I want to get someone on that's like an expert in everything that I'm talking about. And this guy is like one of the best. And so, uh, I want to thank all of you guys for taking the time to listen to this podcast and I can't wait to, you know, have my first interview tomorrow. Hopefully, hopefully. So until then I will catch you guys mañana. Peace.